Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna. Hosanna. Can you hear the shouts, the cheers, the crowd, the growing excitement? Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. He is coming into town. It says this is the next day. The, the day after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. The day after he had been anointed in Bethany. And those who had seen and heard what he had done are coming into town and they are proclaiming his miracles. They are declaring to those around him what Jesus has done. The crowds come near. They, They gather to see, to touch, to get a glimpse of this miracle worker, this man mighty in word and deed. They had seen him feed the 5,000. They had seen him heal the blind, cause the lame to walk and leap. And now the dead are raised to life. What had been spoken in whispers behind closed doors throughout Jesus' ministry is now shouted in the open streets. Is this the Messiah? The king has come. Blessed be David's greater son. You can hear it resounding through Jerusalem's walls. But amidst the cheers, you can still hear the whispers. In back corners, in quiet rooms, people asking, can a Messiah really come from Nazareth? His family line doesn't look that impressive. His parents aren't that important. He doesn't dress right. He doesn't look very kingly. Would would a Messiah be that thin? Would he be that hungry? Where does he live? I thought the Messiah would be more impressive, something greater, something more daunting. But he doesn't seem to have an army. He doesn't have that much wealth. How is he going to establish his kingdom? You can hear the doubts the scoffs. Even the Jewish leaders, as they look at the the crowds going after Jesus, are frustrated and baffled. The whole world's going after him. Don't they see this man as a fraud? He doesn't have anything to truly offer. And yet Jesus is coming into town, and it's the week of Passover, so hundreds of thousands of pilgrims are coming into the city. And they hear he's coming near, and they gather around because they want to see This Jesus. Here's the shocking thing. Throughout his ministry, Jesus has always avoided the limelight. When everything got too big, he would go off to a desolate place. When the crowds got a little too big and a little too antsy, he would speak hard words. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a follower, you must deny yourself, die to yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If you want to be a disciple of the Son of Man, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the crowds are confused and leave. In John 6, when the crowds want to make Jesus king, he slips out, goes to the other side of the lake into a desolate place. We expect Jesus to shy away from the fanfare and the crowd. But here he stands and he comes and he he doesn't dismiss what the crowds are saying. In fact, he ramps it up. As their cheers grow, he mounts a colt. He mounts a donkey fulfilling the messianic prophecy of Zechariah. The crowds are in 
jubilation. The king is finally coming. Great David's greater son is entering into the city. The true king finally comes. See, the crowds were longing for that king to come and bring deliverance. And we long for that king or that ruler who will come in power to bring truth and justice to light. That king who comes in peace to deliver his people with pomp and circumstance. And it looks like in John's gospel, that's what's happening. But then we see the problem. See, Jesus isn't coming into town on a war horse and Rome is still in control. Instead, Jesus comes lowly and riding on a donkey. He doesn't, he doesn't look quite like we thought he would. He doesn't look like what we expected. In fact, it says he, he's, he's supposed to be coming righteous and victorious, but the passage continues as John quotes in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, for your king comes righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, that word for lowly, it means more than just humble. The, the Hebrew word has a deeper meaning. It means somebody in weakness, somebody in want, wretched and afflicted, overcome by want. Somebody who is poor and broken down. That doesn't sound like the king Israel wanted. And it doesn't sound like the king we want either. But that's who Jesus is. Throughout his ministry he had declared, foxes have holes, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus had no home. He had been afflicted, and he would be afflicted again in a few days, overcome and overwhelmed by want. See, the the Jews in Jerusalem would have known this messianic prophecy well. And they longed for that day when the king would come, righteous and victorious, lowly. They liked the idea in paper, on print. They, They liked the idea, but when they saw it in the flesh, they were a little disappointed, felt underwhelmed. Jesus didn't live up to their expectations. They were looking for somebody to come with a mighty arm and crush their foes, set them free. But Jesus comes in a different way. He overcomes power with weakness, arrogance with humility. He looks different than what we expect. And so the crowds who sang his praises, would turn on him a few days later. See, in this tragic irony, at Jesus' trial, Pilate brings Jesus out before the Jews and says, Behold your king, the one you've been looking for, the one you've been longing for. This is him. And how do the Jews respond? We have no king but Caesar. This man is a fraud. He doesn't look like what we want. The prophecy had said a king would come lowly. But they wanted somebody who had the right clothes, the right pedigree, the right attitude. They wanted what worldly powers and kings look like. And so they rejected their true king for a cheap imitation. And how often don't we in our lives do the same thing? 
We say we want Jesus, the, the humble, lowly king who rides into Jerusalem, who would go the way of the cross, and yet we look in hope to our politicians, to our president, to our, our own forces, our own devices for deliverance. We look to worldly methods of power. See, Jesus always baffles us because when we see our king who comes lowly and afflicted, overwhelmed by want and wretched, we wonder, can he really bring about the kingdom? Is he strong enough to bring God's rule and reign into our lives? Is he strong enough? Is this king great enough? Because he looks awfully weak. He doesn't look like he has the power to destroy our foes or like he has enough to crush our enemies. See, we love the first part of Zechariah's prophecy. He's coming righteous and victorious. All right, I can get behind that. But then Zechariah continues. He comes lowly, humble, riding on a donkey, wretched and weak, broken and overwhelmed. And then Zechariah continues in verse 10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This king will actually come and take away the things that we look to for strength and security. The things we look to in hope to, to give us peace. He's not going to increase the military budget. He's going to dismantle the military. He's not going to break our enemies. He's going to bring them peace to the nations. He doesn't look like what Israel wanted, and he doesn't always look like what we wanted. So though he comes to bring peace, though he comes in the midst of cheers and adulation, those crowds would soon realize that Jesus wasn't there to overthrow Rome. See, he hadn't come in on a war horse to topple a kingdom. He came in humility and weakness to give us freedom and to establish a heavenly kingdom. Jesus comes as something different, something unexpected. And as the crowds realized that the authorities and rulers and the leaders of the Jewish people would, would turn against him and would bring the crowds to turn against him and those who had shouted his praises would now shout and cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify our king. We don't want him. We want something different. We want something else. And so the true king would be rejected and scorned. In seeming darkness and defeat, he would hang from the cross, bloodied and beaten, weak, overwhelmed by want, wretched and afflicted. He doesn't look much like a king. Doesn't look like our ideas of a king. See, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, humble and lowly on that donkey. And it, would point for, it was pointing forward to the way that the world would see him a few days later, hung from a cross, lowly and weak, overcome and overwhelmed. See your king. See, the cross is offensive. The cross is offensive. Because amidst the cheers and the chants, 
Jesus comes in humility and weakness. The crowds were longing for someone to deliver them from their enemies, to lift them on high. But Jesus follows the Father's will, the Father's plan to go the way of the cross. And so the disciples would leave confused. The women would leave crying. Hopes seemingly dashed. The cross is offensive because the king Our king, the creator of the universe, was killed as a common criminal among our jeers. Our jeers. Our scoffs. A king doesn't look like that. A king wouldn't act that way. A king wouldn't let this happen to himself. We can hear our own cheers among the crowds. See, until we start to look at the cross for what it is, and we stop seeing it as as a nice piece of jewelry or a piece of art or some cool tattoo, until we see the cross for what it is, an instrument of torture and pain, shame and punishment, meant to be an example and the worst kind of death imaginable. Until we are shocked as we see that truth and horrified as we look and see our king crucified and hanging on that cross. We're not ready to hear the gospel. We're not ready to hear the truth of what it means for us until we can see our king hanging in weakness, in shame, afflicted, overwhelmed by want and broken, and yet righteous and victorious in that very moment. See, Jesus is always too big for us. His ways are too great, too high, too mighty. And so we can't always understand what's going on. So sometimes we we get the wrong idea. But Jesus going the way of the cross, we know that there, in that affliction, in that wretchedness and brokenness, he delivers freedom to the nations. He delivers victory and hope, righteousness to you and I who, as we confessed earlier, were enemies of God, sinful by nature in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Jesus comes and gives victory for all. That work was completed on the cross. See, as Jesus hung from the cross a few days later, he would declare, it is finished. This wasn't a declaration of defeat, but his victory cry And three days later, when he rose from the grave, God would vindicate that sentence. It is finished. Power overcome by weakness. Arrogance overcome by humility. Nations and powers toppled by the lowly and the humble. Because on the last day, every knee will bow before this king who came into Jerusalem, humble and lowly, riding on a donkey. And they will lay their crowns at his feet and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of all. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Lord of every situation you're in. Lord of your life. There is nothing that is beyond his control. He knows all of it and he is guiding you through it. Jesus is indeed Lord of all. As God's people, we know this truth. We sing it. We proclaim it. We know the end of the story. That the darkness of Holy Week has a light at the end of the tunnel as Jesus walks victoriously out of the grave. We know that there is hope. 
we know how this story ends. So we as God's people, we follow this humble, lowly king. We hear his words. And as Jesus tells us, his servants follow his, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant must also be. We follow where Jesus takes us. We listen to his words and let them speak truth into our lives, even when they're hard, even when they're unpopular. We follow his example of living a life of self-giving love for others. We put their needs first, even when it costs us. Because we don't seek to glorify ourselves, but as followers of the true king, we seek to glorify his heavenly father, our heavenly father, And the lamb who was slain, who hung in affliction and wretchedness in our place. And we glorify the Holy Spirit who proclaims that truth in our lives and through our lives. So we go wherever the king leads us, even unto death. Because when we follow this king, we know that whoever dies in his name will rise to eternal glory and victory on the last day. When he comes again, not humble and lowly on a donkey, but powerful and mighty on that white war horse to set all things right again. Amen.